Thank you, brethren, for praying for the church tonight. I hope that you'll give me a few minutes. I know exactly what time it is, and so do you. We'll be done at 7.40. My word. I have an outline that I can end whenever I choose to because I've got 100 points that would take me three hours, so we'll cut it when we get to 7.39. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Revelation 12:17. Satan makes war with the saints of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes war with them by trying to keep them from the commandments of God their Savior, by sending out strong delusion, false teaching, false doctrine, in a spiritual warfare for us. Right. Now, our brothers already stood up here tonight and mentioned the fact that to the world, this night, December 24th, is the eve of Christ's Mass. And it's a shame that in a city of 471 Baptist churches, we're the only one that doesn't want to keep the Mass. It's a shame that Baptists would stoop so low as to keep a name, if there was nothing else known about it, that's called the Mass of Christ. Because many of our ancestors, these right here in Revelation 12, and they're also described in several other chapters that are under the throne of God, the martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ, gave their lives to oppose that great whore that sits in Rome. And for us to ever modify that message is to modify the Word of God, and woe be to the man that modifies the Word of God. We're not going to modify it. They can call it politically incorrect. They can threaten us with hate crimes, but we're going to preach the word of God. We do not hold our position on this subject to be different. We do not hold our position on this subject to have a hobby horse. It's not our hobby horse. It's part of the word of God, and we're going to stand on it as all the saints have in the past. They are the innovators. We are not. This position of not celebrating Christmas, which is what I'm preaching to you tonight, is not the innovative position. It's the orthodox, standard position of all Bible-believing Christians for the last 2,000 years, except for the last 150. They are the innovators. When you run into a Christian that that claims to be a Christian and yet wants to celebrate Christmas and says, Christians have always celebrated. No, they haven't. Only Rome did. All those outside the Pale of Rome considered it a popish holiday. They would have nothing to do with it. It was a crime in England under Oliver Cromwell and the Puritans. It was a crime in New England under the Puritans. It was a crime when George Washington was president of this country to take the day off work December 25th because they knew what you were doing. You were celebrating a popish holiday. Our first president, George Washington, knew that he could take his tattered army and cross the river and come and find those German Hessian soldiers drunk from their partying on Christmas Day and defeat them with a vastly inferior army. And so it's always been, this country was different and didn't celebrate that day. It was not a, a holiday in any state until 1836 in the state of Alabama. There was not a Christmas tree as is known now today as the American Christmas tree in this country, never written about, never known, never heard or seen till 1821. Now, we're talking about Pilgrim's Landing in 1620, 1640, 
1660. We're talking about an American Revolution in 1776, and yet no tree. Because it's in Europe, held by Catholics and high church Episcopalians and others, but not in these United States. And all of that information is available to anyone that's literate and that wants to read. I guess we should learn to read, shouldn't we? That wants to read an encyclopedia or the Internet and see the origin of the tree in this country and the timing of it. We are not the innovators. They are. Don't ever be ashamed of the fact that we don't celebrate Christmas. And tonight I am preaching a lot to our young people. I know that you know that we don't celebrate Christmas. Now, that'd really be dumb if I didn't know that. But I want to remind you of something. It takes a little knowledge to believe something, some more knowledge to teach something, but a whole lot of knowledge of a subject in order to be able to defend that subject. And I want you to be able to defend it. All of our children that are able to remember, I'm going to give you four passages that I don't want you to forget. Now, I'm going to give you more than four until my 39 minutes expires. But the four I give you, I want you to remember, because it's these four that are the best in the Bible. And this is your pastor's wisdom for you, in order, the four best passages. I want you to be able to defend it. It's not just enough that we know it. And brethren, we're in a war. The dragon was wroth with the woman. Do you know who the woman is? By the grace of God, us. He was wroth with the woman and made war with the remnant of her seed. Now, that's exciting to me. I get excited about it. And I have here in front of this pulpit some icons of Christmas. We have a Santa Claus here, and we have some Babylonian god, and we've got a Christmas tree, and we've got a golden calf, and we've got a little Buddha. What difference does it make? They're all little icons of pagan religion. Right. There isn't one whit of difference between having a Christmas tree in your house and a golden calf. If you're going to sit there and sing songs to a Christmas, oh, Christmas tree, or, oh, come all ye faithful, what difference does it make if you're going to sit there in the dark around some twinkling tree? Sit there around a golden calf and quote the verses from Psalms that says, the Lord is our strength. Thank you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. I never took a class in pulpit manners. <laughs> Listen. I still remember a night in St. Louis where John Frisella took me by surprise. Yes. He, and I, he didn't. He, some of you were there. A few of you were there. I love that, brother. First passage, brethren. Deuteronomy chapter 12. The first place we go. Now, if you say to someone, Christmas, how can we celebrate Christmas because it's Christ's Mass? That ought to be enough for good people. But those who want to hold to their superstitious traditions will say, but where in the Bible does it say we can't do it? I'll agree that it doesn't say we should do it, but where in the Bible does it say we can't do it? They've totally missed the whole lesson of what the Bible, how the Bible is written. We are to do what God has said, period. And it was well stated by our brother tonight. What the Bible says to do, we do it. We don't add to it. We don't take away from it. We do exactly what he said. We don't have to have a thou shalt not for all two billion permutations that could exist for other ways of worshiping him. He tells us how we worship him, and that's what we do. But in Deuteronomy 12, first passage that you want to go to, 
And it's just so simple, and most of us know this, but we need to remember it to be able to defend why we hold to serving the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully, even though there's a war being waged against us. Deuteronomy 12, verse 29. When the Lord thy God, this is Moses warning the Israelites, when the Lord thy God shall cut off the nations from before thee, whither thou goest to possess them, and thou succeedest them, and dwellest in their land. Take heed to thyself, that thou be not snared by following them. After that they be destroyed from before thee. And that thou inquire not after their gods, saying, How did these nations serve their gods? Even so will I do likewise. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. For every abomination to the Lord, which he hateth, have they done unto their gods. For even their sons and their daughters, they have burnt in the fire to their gods. Now, I know those are long verses. But what those verses are saying is, we are not to find out how other religions, pagan religions, any religion that isn't following the Lord Jesus Christ according to the word of God is a pagan religion. Right. We are not to find out how those pagan religions serve their gods and then use those methods to serve the true God. This passage is airtight. You cannot adopt pagan practices or customs in the worship of the true God. If you, if someone says to you, Merry Christmas, and you say back, I don't celebrate Christmas, and they'll say, well, why don't you? And you'll say, because the Christmas tree and the customs of Christmas are pagan, and there I want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ according to the Bible, I don't practice Christmas. They'll say to you, but we're not worshiping the Christmas tree. I'm doing it to the Lord. I've heard this so many times. I'm doing it to the Lord. That's why I took you to this passage first, because of the 31st verse, the first line. Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. This thou shalt is as powerful as thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not have any graven images before me. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. This is a thou shalt not. And what is it? Thou shalt not take pagan customs and use them in worshiping the Lord thy God. Now, is that plain? So whenever someone says to you, I do it to the Lord, they can't do it to the Lord because the Lord said, thou shalt not. So they're not doing it to the Lord. They're doing it to themselves and the God of this world who is most excited as he passes through. There is a being that can make it to all the houses on Christmas Eve in addition to the Lord. And it's Satan. And when he goes by and sees that tree in there, he knows that he's got another family that's worshiping him instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter one bit. In Galatians, and oh my, many men have thought they were worshiping Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul would come along and say, there's more than one Jesus in this world. Right. 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, and there's another spirit and there's another gospel. They are not worshiping the Jesus Christ of the Bible because the Lord Jesus Christ that sits at the right hand of God who 2,000 years ago was laid in a manger, that Lord Jesus Christ, the true Lord Jesus Christ said, Thou shalt not do so unto the Lord thy God. And that little adverb, so, is the most important word in there because it's describing what thou shouldn't do. And that is 
take the way that pagans worship their gods and adopt them to the Lord God. We don't celebrate Christmas. Why? Because of Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 29 through 31. Do you want another reason? You know how long I can say that? Deuteronomy 12, 32. Right. What thing soever I command you, observe to do it. Thou shalt not add thereto, nor diminish from it. Amen. Now I'm going to give you several things to use in Deuteronomy 12, but it's still the first passage. First place you want to turn is Deuteronomy 12, and yet you don't want to show this to them. But in your, in your soul and in your heart, you're doing this. Because you know what the Word of God says. And we're not doing it because we're smarter. Right. We're not doing it because we want to put down. We're doing it because we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And if they want to give us an opportunity to testify of the certainty of the words of truth, as Proverbs 22, verse 17 says, we will take the opportunity. Verse 32, and I mean everything I just said. This isn't a hobby horse of ours. Everything that God said is our hobby horse. We want to ride a great big horse that's all 1,100 chapters and 31,000 verses of the Word of God in the King James Bible all the way to glory. Every bit of it. Every word of God is pure. What things soever I command you observe to do it, thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. And as as a brother said earlier tonight, Where do you find Christmas in the Bible? Can you find it in a concordance? Can you show me where in the Bible God's told us to celebrate Christmas? Because the true Lord Jesus Christ that was laid in a manger, not the one that's worshipped at Christmas, the true Lord Jesus Christ, he said, what things soever I command you observe to do it. Don't add to or take away. Christmas is an addition to the word of God. It is adding to God's word. It is plainly condemned by the true Lord Jesus Christ in Deuteronomy 12, verse 31, verse 32. Excuse me. Now let's look at the first four verses of this chapter. These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers giveth thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. Ye shall utterly destroy all the places wherein the nations which ye shall possess serve their gods upon the high mountains and upon the hills and under every green tree. And ye shall overthrow their altars, and break their pillars, and burn their groves with fire. And ye shall hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy the names of them out of that place. Ye shall not do so unto the Lord your God. Do you notice that verse 4 is identical to verse 31 in the same chapter? Ye shall not do so with their methods, their places, and their names unto the Lord thy God. So we're back to what we first learned. But I want to show you what it said in there. Did you see something mentioned there? It said, on every high hill and upon the mountains. What else did it say? Under every green tree. Now, isn't that amazing? Do you think they really knew about Christmas trees back when... Did Moses know about Christmas trees? What's What's every green tree? I thought every tree was green. So what's every green tree? Evergreen tree. Because it's green all the time. Because in the winter, when every other tree dies, and the sun god has descended so far into the southern skies that they think it's going to go away, and death is everywhere because their plant life and animal life, animals are hibernating, the fields are no longer bearing fruit, death has come except the precious 
evergreen tree is still showing signs in the pagan mind of eternal life. And so it was a select tree. And all it takes is a little bit of literacy to be able to get on the internet or an encyclopedia and find out that most nations in the Western Hemisphere before Jesus Christ, most nations of Europe decorated their homes in the winter with evergreen trees or bows of evergreen in order for a picture of that eternal tree. But even, wait, let's forget that. Who cares about history? We can run history all the way back to 3000 BC plus to find what Moses said. And he said, under every green tree. So look what you've got. You've come into Deuteronomy chapter 12. And you see that God said, you may not worship me with the customs and traditions and practices of other religions. And you've shown how, and it, we've shown how we are supposed to worship him. The last verse of the chapter tells us we're to worship him exactly as he tells us to. Then we find out what some of those things are in the first four verses. And one of those things is every green tree. And notice it's under it. Where do they all put their precious little presents right now? Where are half the homes right now ripping the paper off to fulfill all their lust and greed and covetousness at this hour? Under an evergreen tree. It's beautiful. Where did these nations serve their gods? Under every green tree. I want to ask you, listen, where did they come up with that idea? Where did they come up with, why don't they put it on top of the tree? Why don't they turn the tree upside down, hang it from a bungee cord in the yard, and put the trees on a picnic table on the other side of the house? Where did they come up with it? Just, just help me out. Don't let somebody play with you in Deuteronomy chapter 12. Satan has been the designer of all false religion since the Garden of Eden. He's kept it going right along. His re- you want to talk about an ancient faith? He's got one for you. Obey me. Where did that idea come from? Moses knew about putting things under an evergreen tree in the worship of a deity. Deuteronomy 12 is the first place you go. 29 through 31, then 32, and then verses 1 through 4, and you've even got the tree. Let's look at Jeremiah 10. Jeremiah 10. The clock is moving like a weaver's shuttle. Remember that this morning? It's like a post. It's like a swift eagle. Jeremiah 10. Here's the second place you want to go. Children, what's the first chapter we go to? Deuteronomy 12. Deuteronomy 12. Now we go to Jeremiah 10. It's in order in the Bible. Progressive revelation about Christmas. Jeremiah 10, verse 1. Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen, with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. There's four verses describing a custom of heathen people to take a tree out of the forest and to decorate it with silver and gold and to nail it down so that it doesn't fall over. Now, 
If you, if you haven't, don't know what this is talking about, you have a problem in reading comprehension. Because this is very simple. Very simple. And notice that it's triggered by something in the heavens. Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. We just had a sign in the heavens three days ago. What was it called? The winter solstice. December 21st or 22nd, some years. Go to your U.S. Naval Observatory website, and they'll tell it to you down to the second for the next ten years when the winter solstice is going to be. The winter solstice is when the sun has descended in the southern skies as far as it's going to go, and then turns around and comes back up. For those living in the northern hemisphere, that means that they had their shortest day and longest night. The sun has left its strength. No longer is it warming the earth. That's why we were cold this morning on the way to church. Because the sun is down there at the winter solstice. And then it comes back. But this day, December 25th, was not picked because Jesus was born on December 25th. Let's just reason for just a second. Uh, this is a little bit off. It's another point way down the page. You're going to get the whole page. You don't need to write anything down because I'm going to give it to you all, give it all to you. How long was Jesus Christ's ministry? Do we know how long it was? Three and a half years. We know that because Daniel said that he would be cut off in the midst of the week. Now, when there's a prophecy as precise as 70 weeks of years and the Messiah being cut off in the midst of the week, we know that his ministry was three and a half years long. He began his ministry when? When he, when he turned 30 years of age. Do we know when he died? Approximately what month did Jesus die? It's whenever the Jewish Passover is held. About March or April. Therefore, if we back up that half year that we have to back up, because he lived 33 and a half years, where do we end up? October. Does October make any sense to you? If you were the Roman governor of Judea, would you want to tax the people right after harvest when their pockets are full of cash and it's easiest to pay? Would you want to tax them right after harvest when they don't have to be at home tending to their fields, but they could make a trip in order to pay? Does it also make sense that shepherds might be in the fields abiding with their flock in the middle of October instead of on December 25th? You can also prove the same thing by going to Luke chapter 1 and finding out about the courses of the priests. Forget December 25th. December 25th was picked because in the old Julian calendar, it was the date for the winter solstice. It was the date that the Romans celebrated a Persian god named Mithra, who was the sun god. That sun god celebration fell within a one-week festival called Saturnalia, where the god of agriculture was worshipped by the Romans. They combined both events, winter solstice, agricultural god, in this great this week-long celebration of greed, covetousness, drinking, partying, banqueting, gift exchanging, and so forth. All well, all well documented, all easy for you to find if you'll just use your internet for something good or read an encyclopedia. Learn not the way of the heathen. This is the Lord speaking to us about Christmas. Amen. Learn not the way of the heathen and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Do you, do we care about the winter solstice? We bless God for it. We thank Him for the 23 and a half degrees that the earth has tipped on its axis for the seasons that it gives us, but we're not dismayed. Right. We're thankful. 
they were dismayed because they were worshiping the sun. And their sun god was dying. So when it came back to life, they had the birthday, the rebirth of the invincible sun in Rome, December 25. Over 400 years, it was eventually picked as the day in which so-called Christians, Catholic Christians, would celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ in order for the Catholics to keep their churches filled with pagans. Because in order to tell those pagans you can no longer have this parter, this partying week of debauchery in the end of December, in order to keep those people, they had to give it a new name so they could keep right on doing the same thing, and yet they'd stay in the Catholic Church and keep the coffers ringing with their donations so they could build those monstrous cathedrals that are scattered across Europe. You ought to read some of the Catholic confessions about their wisdom in knowing that, that customs deeply rooted in the hearts of the peasantry are not easily swept away, and therefore it seems in our prudence and our wisdom to give them other meanings instead of asking them to forsake them. (laughs) Jeremiah 10. Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven. Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. He wasn't born near it. The Bible doesn't tell us when he was born. We can back into it because the Bible does tell us some things about his life. And it tells us about John the Baptist's father and his course of being a high priest. But notice, at this sign in the heaven, they then bring a tree out of the forest. Sounds just like we're almost reading a Christmas story. And they deck it with silver and gold. This is where you want to go. It says, learn not the way of the heathen. That's the second passage. We have two now. What are they? Two Bible passages. Deuteronomy 12, Jeremiah 10. Now we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Tonight and tomorrow. Who's the majority in celebrating Christmas? Believers or unbelievers? And I'll let you count anything as a believer. Who's the majority? The whole world is celebrating it. Much, Much of the whole world is celebrating it. Many of which have nothing to do with religion or Christianity. And look look what it it starts right out by saying, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Why are we observing their holy day? We're not. But why would anyone want to observe their holy day? For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a New Testament statement by the Apostle Paul, applying these words to us, that we are the temple of God, and we should have nothing to do with darkness or idolatry or unbelief. Nothing. And it goes on to say in verse 17, Wherefore, if you're going to fulfill these statements and this commandment of our Savior Jesus Christ, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, 
and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Any sincere Christian reading those verses, that should be enough. Because those verses right there say, if you truly want to be a son and daughter of God, then you need to come out from among anything that is tainted with worldliness, unbelief, darkness, belial, idolatry. And not even touch it. Touch not the unclean thing. What would we call a tree that's stuck in the corner of someone's house in the name of religion? That's been cut out of the forest at the time of the winter solstice because of Jeremiah 10. It's an unclean thing. What, where, where else did we find that tree? We found it in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 2. It's an unclean thing because it's one of the things that God wanted the Israelites to utterly destroy. Right. And so we find it right here that we're not to touch it. We're to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and he'll bless us. And he'll receive us as his children. Now turn to Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. This is the fourth place we go. We've been three places. Deuteronomy 12, Jeremiah 10, and 2 Corinthians 6. And now we go to Revelation 18. Revelation 17 and 18 are describing the Roman Catholic Church as a great whore arrayed in scarlet and purple, sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. That is the revived pagan Roman Empire that brought her to her power. And these two chapters describe her committing fornication with the kings of the earth because all that mattered to Rome was getting bigger and richer rather than following the Lord Jesus Christ, though the Roman Catholic Church began as an assembly of saints in Rome just like this. Verse 4, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. This is God calling his people to come out of the Roman Catholic Church, that they be not partakers of her sins. And one of her sins is the Mass, and one of her sins is Christ's Mass on December 25th. Today is a very important holy day for the Roman Catholic Church. A priest can only offer one Mass per day until this day when he can offer three. He can offer three Masses. The first one is for the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. The first one is for the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ. The second one is for the incarnate sonship of Jesus Christ. And the third one is Jesus Christ being born as a son in the hearts of the faithful. And tonight at midnight, you will be able to witness Pope John Paul offering a Mass. If you want to turn your televisions on and see him in the Vatican offering a Mass in front of dignitaries from most every nation on earth, and with over a billion people watching by television, you'll see a Mass in the Vatican. And what does the Lord say? Come out from among her. Come out of her, my people, that she be not partakers of her sins. Those are the four passages we go to. Those are the chief passages. If you know how to use those four passages, you have an airtight Bible position. Because after all, what verses do they have? You have an airtight Bible position. And this is not tit for tat and us wanting to fight. Just to fight. This is us wanting to fight because we're in a war against the devil. Right. 
Jude verse 3 tells us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. It is almost lost in the earth. On this particular subject of Christmas, we should never be ashamed of it. This is the Bible position, and this is the position that most Christians have held for 2,000 years. They never wanted to be part of the Roman Catholic Church. Why don't we celebrate Christmas? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Lord Jesus Christ, condemns all traditions in his worship as making it vain worship. Mark chapter 7. Because the Lord Jesus Christ says that he does not want his glorious name polluted with idolatry. Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 39. Because the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want us having anything to do with sun worship, and Christmas is manifestly sun worship oriented by its very date. It's very Catholic oriented by its very name, and it's totally pagan by its very origin. And so are all of its customs. You can look up every single Christmas tradition and custom and find it coming to us from pagan religion. I find it most amazing that they say we're doing it to the Lord. We're having a birthday party for Jesus. Well, why would you invite such an illustrious guest as the Lord Jesus Christ to a birthday party and everybody just gives gifts to the various guests and not to the invited one of honor? That is the rudest, most blasphemous treatment of the Lord Jesus Christ to invite him supposedly to a birthday party, but everybody just exchanges gifts instead of giving them to him. In the Bible, when Jesus was born, wise men came from the east with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And when they brought those gifts to the house, brethren, not the manger, to the house where Jesus was, they got down and they worshipped him. And they gave him gifts fit for a king. Because he was king. Because they said to Herod, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Can you imagine? What if I invited you to a birthday party? And as you sat there neglected in the corner, we all exchanged gifts among ourselves and had a great time. We're doing it to Jesus. Right. Right. You're doing it to Jesus. Because the Lord Jesus Christ abominates anything that is popular with this world. And if there's something popular, if you didn't know that it was popular with the world, you should have come to Haywood Mall any time during the last six weeks. You would have known it was very popular with the world. But Jesus Christ considers anything that is popular with the world an abomination. Amen. That should be enough. Luke 16, 15. I'll have all of these and 71 more for you on an outline. I want to tell you, they say that this is how we remember that Jesus was born. Where are we told to remember that Jesus was born? We preach the gospel. And we preach the two gospels that tell us about him being born. And that's Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even mention his birth. And it's not described in any detail in all the epistles. Because the important thing about the Lord Jesus Christ is his death. It's recorded in all four Gospels, and Paul spends half of his epistles on the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And how do we remember his death and his resurrection? With the Lord's Supper and with baptism. Baptism has a picture of the burial and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord's Supper is to remember his death until he comes. We do remember Jesus. They'll ask us, don't you believe in Jesus? You may say, if you're prepared to kindly explain the answer, I don't believe in your Jesus. 
But the Jesus of the New Testament and the Jesus Christ of the Word of God, the Son of God, made flesh, that Lord Jesus Christ is remembered by the preaching of the gospel and by the Lord's Supper and by baptism. None of these Christmas programs and plays and other inventions that they have made, they've added to the Word of God. Jesus said, when he told, when he commissioned his apostles in Matthew 28 and verse 20, he said, go into all nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Do you know that all things whatsoever I have commanded you cuts out Christmas? Right. You can't add that to what Jesus Christ taught. The Apostle Paul said that if any man or even an angel from heaven preached any gospel different than the Apostle Paul's, he should be accursed. And then Paul repeated himself so that you got the message. Galatians 1, 8, 9 are a repetition for you to get the message. And Paul didn't preach one thing about Xmas. You know, I just read a Baptist preacher's sermon yesterday, Let's Keep Christ Out of Christmas. And I rejoiced at the sermon. It was, it was great because Christ was never in Christmas. What are you talking about? It's sun worship. He was never in it. Did you know that we're, we're told not to be friends of the world in James 4, 4, lest we become the enemies of God? Right. Now, if anyone, see, if anyone ever says to you that God is not that particular, and as long as we're doing it with a good heart to the Lord... He'll accept it because of our good heart. I want to remind you of five quick people, and then I'm done. i got to remind you of Cain, who offered a sacrifice to the true God at the right time at the right altar, but it wasn't accepted. I want to remind you about David, who brought the Ark of the Covenant the wrong way and was celebrating and worshiping God with as pure of a heart as a man could have, but God killed Uzzah because of that. I want to remind you of Isaiah. Uh, king of Israel, who thought he could go in and offer incense to worship God, but he wasn't a priest, and leprosy rose up in his forehead even while he stood there doing it. I want to remind you about King Saul, who thought that he could save some of the best of the cattle and the king of the Amalekites, and God took the kingdom away from him because of that. And I want to remind you about Moses, who was a great man, but one time, instead of speaking to a rock, he smote the rock, and God kept him out of the land of Canaan. That's how important the details are to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May he be praised. I'm done. I'll have an outline for you later.